Christmas, the, uh, the same characters show up for the Christmas story. Right, okay. By the way, thank you to all of you who have been a part of the dramas this year. They've been a great opening up our hearts and minds to what we're talking about. Every year the same characters show up. You know the story, right? You know the characters. But Mary shows up every Christmas, the star of the story, right? And we watch every year Gabriel and his angel friends show up here and there throughout the story. Last week we saw the shepherds make their trip to the manger. Next Sunday, Christmas Day, 10 o'clock in the morning, um, we're going to see the, the accidental character, right? The innkeeper who just kind of falls into the Christmas stories, remembered ever since because of it. But I'm always struck that there's one person who is present throughout the whole story, but gets so little attention. And that's Joseph. Right? Mary's husband, Jesus' earthly father. He's a key character in the whole story, and that he stays mostly hidden behind the scenes. Well, this morning we're going to pull Joseph out of the shadows a little bit and talk about him. You see, this Advent we're, we're experiencing, if you've been here with us throughout the week, we're experiencing the different emotions of the Christmas story. So we experienced the first week hope along with Elizabeth and Zechariah. And we've experienced opposition and fear along with Herod. And we've experienced last week joy along with the shepherds. Today we experience love along with Joseph. So take out your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Page 783 in the Bible you have in front of you, Matthew chapter 1. And it's interesting, in, this, in Matthew's account of the Nativity, he makes it so clear to us that this Christmas story is primarily a love story. Right? And like any good love story, I mean, honest love story, the journey of this love story has its high points and its low points. It has its, its beautiful moments and its doubtful moments. So any love story goes, right? If you're reading a good book about a love story, you're watching a movie, or maybe it's being lived out in your own life, right? Highs and lows of this love story journey. That's the way this Christmas love story goes as well. And Joseph shows us. So for Matthew, the nativity story begins with a wedding. Well, at least the promise of a wedding. Verse 18 begins this story with a picture of love. Starts like this. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Let's stop there for just a moment. Guys, it's just one verse, but it's only half a verse. But look at how it starts. Matthew starts the Nativity story not with a birth, but with a marriage. It starts with Joseph's love for Mary. And he loved her enough that he wanted her to be his wife. Now, I would guess that over the centuries, the feelings of love and mutual attraction between a young man and a young woman, they're probably the same across the years. But the cultural patterns for expressing that love have changed dramatically. So when Matthew tells us that they, were, that they were pledged to be married, my guess is, like me, you assume that they were engaged, just like we experience an engagement. You assume that, that Joseph went to the local jeweler and bought a diamond after saving up all his weeks and, and 
And he planned an elaborate day, maybe at the local zoo, and he took Mary out for a date, or, or maybe in some beautiful setting with all the relatives hidden in the bushes around, right? He got the courage, and he got down on one knee, and he, with a quivering voice, offered the ring and asked Mary if she'd marry him, and she said yes, and the families jumped out of the bushes, and they took pictures, and it was a wonderful celebration, right? Well, that's not the way it worked in this right? Okay, let me tell you how it worked. A pledge, they were pledged to be married. It was more than an engagement, but less than a wedding. See, here's how, how the whole process went. First of all, when Mary and Joseph realized that they wanted to get married, and honestly, it was probably more when Joseph realized he wanted to marry Mary, because he probably didn't have a whole lot to say in, it, in, that, in that era. Okay, when Joseph realized he wanted to, to get married to her, the first thing he did is he went and told his father. And his father then scheduled a meeting with Mary's father. So the dads talked first. And these dads had to get together. And first of all, they had to agree to let their kids get married. And secondly, they had to agree on a bride's price. Okay, There's a financial piece to this. The, the groom's father had to pay a fee to the bride's father to make this happen. So it's kind of a negotiation that has to happen first. If it goes well, then the wedding's on. If it doesn't go well, the whole thing's done. Okay, well, it went well for Mary and Joseph with their, with their fathers, okay? So then the next step is that those dads make a public announcement that their children are now pledged to be married to each other. And this pledge was a, a, was a year-long pledge where, where they weren't living together yet, they weren't, they weren't married yet, but it was a legally binding contract. So once you're pledged, if Mary or Joseph got cold feet, there's no way out of this except for through death or divorce. So they're pledged to each other, but they stay apart yet for one more year. And that year was intended to prove Mary's purity. So within a year, you'll find out whether somebody's pregnant or not, right? If that year all goes well, then a year later, Joseph takes Mary home. The problem is, all did not go well for me. Read the rest of verse 18. Right? It says, As Mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, Joseph doesn't know those last few words. All he knows is that she was found to be pregnant. All he knows is that the woman he's pledged to is pregnant and the child is not his. And so the only logical conclusion he can reach is that Mary has been unfaithful and he needs to call off the wedding. He needs to distance himself from Mary for his own good, right? Because her pregnancy would carry this severe social stigma in that culture. And that stigma would follow her for the rest of her life. And if he doesn't distance himself from her soon and quickly and as far as possible, then his reputation is going to be sunk right along with hers. She's going to pull him down. If he, go, if he goes on with his marriage, then, then it's as good as admitting to the whole world that the child is his. So he decides he needs a divorce. The wedding is on. 
But even in mysticism, even at this moment, we get to see a bit of Joseph's heart of love for Mary. Listen to verse 19, remember that first paragraph. It says, Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. You think about this. Because, because Joseph is a righteous man, because he, he needs to follow the law, he, he cannot in good conscience marry her. But Joseph, Joseph handles this with grace. You see, he had two options here when it came to divorcing Mary. On the one hand, he could choose the public option for divorce. Remember, this is a legal matter. This is, this is a, a binding contract. So he has the option of taking her to court and throwing the whole book of the law at Mary and exposing her guilt, exposing her shame to the whole world. It might have even, it may have even led to her stoning. Yeah, that law was still on the books. It wasn't enforced often in the first century, but it could have been. And, and a public divorce like that would destroy marriage, but it would be the wisest avenue for Joseph to protect his own reputation and his own righteousness because it puts as much distance as possible between him and this pregnancy. That's not what Joseph chooses. He chooses love, grace, instead. He, the Bible tells us that he wasn't willing to expose Mary to such shame. And so he chooses the other option, a private divorce. To do it quietly. The option is there to do it discreetly with just two witnesses, instead of telling the whole thing. And that's what he chooses. And that this choice takes on significant risk for his reputation. Right? He, he still is aligned a little bit more closely with this pregnancy, but his love moves into acting grace instead of death. I really like Joseph. I like him a lot. The little we know about him shows him to be a really good guy. He really loves me. And yet Joseph not only loved Mary, but he also really loved God as well. So Joseph made these plans to divorce her quietly, but God had a different plan. And God sends this angel to visit him and to invite Joseph to follow his plan instead of Joseph's plan. Listen to verses 20 and 23. So but after he had considered this, divorcing her quietly, I guess, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from all their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now you and I have heard this story often enough, right? We've heard this Christmas story probably since we were children. We've heard it often enough that, that nothing in it shocks us anymore. Right? Nothing shocks us. 
But think about Joseph here. Think about what Joseph is asked to both believe and do. You hear God asks him to believe in a virgin birth. When a virgin birth had never been something to consider, let alone being a, a well-known doctrine that we're taught about, right? for him to believe that his fiancée Mary was still a virgin and that her unplanned pregnancy was actually God's plan and that the child was God's child, that would be to believe the unbelievable. Put yourself in his shoes for just a moment. With what you're asked to believe, would you believe it? Honestly, I, I don't think I would. But look at how Joseph responds to this unbelievable request. Finish off the chapter. It says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to his son. And he gave him the name Jesus. I love that line. It's so simple, so factual, right? When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded. He took Mary home as his wife. And yet it's so radical. It's this radical obedience that exposes Joseph's true love for God, isn't it? And remember what obedience is going to mean for him here. Right? Joseph is going to be obedient to this command. If he's going to change his plans and go ahead and marry her, that means changing his life forever. Taking home an already pregnant fiancé would be an admission of guilt to him. That it would be declaring to the whole world that this child is actually his. It would mean accepting the social stigma that would unjustly be heaped on him for the rest of his life. Now, I highly doubt that, that even his friends and his family members were ready to believe the story of an angel visit and a virgin birth, let alone the rest of the city. Joseph knows that he's going to forever be the gossip of the town, the talk of the town. And yet, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord made. With willing obedience. That, that kind of willing obedience, especially when there's a price to be paid, that is born out of true love. Born out of a willingness to trust God with everything that matters. This deep love for God shown in a radical obedience is what makes this love story between Mary and Joseph so beautiful and so powerful. Joseph's will and obedience mirrors Mary's obedience, right? In Luke chapter 1, when, when the angel comes to visit Mary, tells her these unbelievable things too, what's her humble reply? Her humble reply was, I am the servant of the Lord. May it be to me as you have said. This love story isn't just a story about Joseph and Mary's love for each other. It's a story of Joseph and Mary's love for God, shown in their willing obedience. So Matthew starts his nativity story with a love story. 
Joseph taking the name to do his part. Doing whatever it takes for God. So open. It's such a thin way to start. Because the story of Jesus' birth is just one part of God's greater love story with us. See, I don't think it's a coincidence that later on, God himself refers to the church, refers to you and to me as his bride. As his bride. That's how much he loves us. He comes to the altar to be in a committed relationship with us, pledging himself to us. And this whole book, this whole book, including the Christmas story, is the story of God's love for us, God's love for you, and God's love for me. The story starts way back at the beginning. It starts back at Genesis, when God created us, and, and God pledges himself to a relationship of, of love and trust with us. He gives that pledge to us. And what do we do? We proceed to destroy it. We destroy the, the promise of this beautiful relationship. Right back in the garden, our sin throws away this, this whole future of a relationship with God. Puts it all into question. We mess up a good thing. We destroy this future joy that belongs to us with God. And in doing so, we give God every right to call off this relationship. We give God every right to divorce himself from us. Just like Joseph should have done with Mary. It's exactly what God should have done to you and me. To protect his own reputation. Right? To protect his own perfect holiness. To protect his own justice. God should have done away with us, should have divorced himself from us altogether, should have distanced himself from us as far as possible, because this was a, a, a love relationship gone bad. And no one would have blamed God for walking away. No one would have blamed God for letting us suffer our own guilt. It's not what God does. Just like Joseph. I'll try for you and for me. Shines through in his grace. He doesn't walk away, even though he should. In grace, he comes back and chooses us. When we deserve judgment, he gives us mercy. When, when we deserve punishment, he takes pity on us. When we deserve to be abandoned, he gives us his son, his son, Jesus. In grace, God chooses to love me and me. So this Christmas story is one more chapter in God's great love story. And in case we forget that, Jesus himself makes that so clear in one of the most popular verses, one of the most well-known verses in John 3. John 3, 16 and 17 is talking about Christmas. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Right? Did you catch those two phrases? God gave his son. 
God sent his son that Christmas. That love. That is Joseph coming to disgrace Mary. That is God coming to disgrace you and disgrace me. That is love. We have, in this love story, we have the opportunity to show our love for God as well. But God has demonstrated His great love through you, His great love for me by coming back for us. Now we must decide we're going to love Him back. Because true love is always a two-way street, isn't it? And Joseph models for us how we show our love for God. Just like Joseph, it's our radical obedience that exposes our heart of love for God. So just as Joseph, in love, just as he woke up and did what the Lord commanded, so when we truly love God, we will wake up each day and do what the Lord commands. What does the Lord command? Jesus made it pretty clear, but this isn't that long. Matthew 22, Jesus says, it's one of two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love. Our love for God is shown we continue this love story like he began. Good love stories, true love stories, always have a love that's reciprocated, right? That's received and given back. Because if, if the love isn't given back, then it's not a love story anymore. Then it's a tragedy. Christmas, the arrival of Jesus, God's Son, is the physical evidence of God's great love for you and for me. It's the evidence of an amazing love shown in His grace that He would give everything to be in relationship with us, even His own Son. So God's grace is poured out. And now you and I get to decide how the story will play out. Will it play out as a love story where the love is reciprocated? Or will it be played out as a tragedy? Will we leave God, the groom, standing at the altar, offering his love, not having to give it back? That is a tragedy. And Joseph doesn't usually get a lot of attention. He doesn't get a lot of friends. In this activity story. That's too bad. Because if we truly want to learn about love, we can learn a lot from him. From his grace and from his obedience. Both believe in true love. And when we learn to live like him and love like him, then our lives become the love story that God originally wrote them with you. God, thank you for writing a love story. A love story that includes us. 
Thank you that when we, when we threw that love away, when we broke this relationship that you had pledged yourself to, thank you that when you had every right, Father, to turn your back and walk away from us, when that would have been the wise and prudent thing for you to do, thank you that you'd be smiling in grace. Thank you that you chose to love us. Even though that love meant something we said. Father, I ask that each one of our lives would not be lived out as a tragedy. But that every day would be a love story being written in us and through us. That every morning we would eagerly wake up ready to be obedient to you because we're so in love with you. Thank you, Father, for your grace. And thank you for your love.